0: Hello and welcome to day 85 of our Bible reading course, where we continue with Paul's discussion of the nature of salvation through faith in Jesus. Today's passage is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, and then chapter 7, verse 7, to the end of chapter 8. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, all over the world people are singing your praises right now. All over the world they are praying to you and serving you. And all over the world they are reading the scriptures and listening for your voice. I join them now and ask that you would speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Praise God for that reading from his word. So far in his letter to the Romans, Paul has established a level playing field between Jew and Gentile in terms of both groups standing equally in need of God's grace and mercy. He's then argued that the faith originally shown by Abraham in God's promises is the same faith which we all, as those under the power of sin, need to exercise in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now Paul moves on to consider how this works out in daily living as a Christian believer. The key here is Paul's language about being in Christ, seen throughout his letters. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just acting as our substitute, taking our sins upon himself so that we might go free from judgment. This is often the way it's taught in our churches, because it's relatively easy to grasp the idea of the scapegoat, from the Jewish Day of Atonement. But it's absolutely essential to understand that Jesus also died as our representative. This is why he called himself the Son of Man and was baptised, in order to identify with us so that he could represent us before God on the cross. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus as Saviour, our old self is taken up in him and dies in him at Calvary. And when he rose again on Easter morning, so we have been born again from above in him, as children of the living God. Otherwise our sins might be forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice, but we remain fundamentally the same, and therefore unable to resist its power into the future. This would not constitute full salvation, but merely forgiveness. Perhaps the place where Paul expresses this most succinctly is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The place where we see this most vividly in the life of a believer is their baptism. As Paul describes in chapter 6, baptism symbolizes both the washing clean from our sins but also the dying of the old self and rising again of the new. It's the whole movement that happens as the person goes down into the pool, their burial, and comes up again from the water, their resurrection. Otherwise, we might just as well pour water on their head to symbolise the removal of sin. Through dying with Christ, Paul continues, the believer is set free from the inability to resist sin and therefore become an instrument in its service, and is now called to commit themselves unreservedly to the service of God. Sin itself, of course, has not ceased to exist, but we are now able to resist it, a. because we have a new self in Christ, and b. because that new self is not only born of the Holy Spirit, but is fuelled by his presence and power within us, which is greater than the power of sin as children of God who address him as Abba, Father. We rejoice not only that if God is for us, who can be against us, but also that nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is the glorious gospel that Paul proclaims. How familiar am I with what has just been outlined from these wonderful chapters in Romans? How easy is it to grasp the truth about being in Christ, the death of the old self and the life of the new. Like some of the other great teachings of our faith, such as the Trinity or the nature of Jesus as fully divine and yet fully human, they can be both challenging and yet wonderfully expansive. Perhaps I can spend some time today exploring these things in my heart and mind. With a sense of awe and wonder at what Paul elsewhere describes as deep mysteries that God has now revealed to his people. Otherwise, there are so many inspiring, uplifting, and encouraging verses in these chapters. Do I have any favourites? Or have any jumped out at me today that seem especially meaningful or relevant? Lord God, my Heavenly Father, I bow before you in worship and praise at your extraordinary plans and purposes for humankind. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross and all that was achieved there for those who put their trust in you, including me. A new creation who calls you Father, filled with your Holy Spirit for a life in joyful and obedient service to the Maker and Saviour of the world, an eternal life that will survive the death of the body and rise again as part of the new heavens and earth that you will bring about at the end of time. Lord God, during this often sad and difficult time of pandemic and lockdown, may I be caught up today once again in all that you have done for me, your never-failing commitment and your unstoppable love. And I pledge myself anew to you, as an instrument of blessing and hope, wherever and with whomever I may be found. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.